Hi, this is Greta Christina, and you are listening to Keith and Mike on Being Humanist. Okay, um, we seem to be rolling. That seems to be working. Are you ready? No. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Being Humanist. This is show number 40-something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I think I figured it out and put it out there. But anyway, um, yeah, welcome uh, to Being Humanist. This is uh, uh, show 40-something, and uh, <laughs> there's all kinds of stuff going on today. But uh, we're going to try to focus on the not-so-sad stuff, I think, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's sad, but, but I think we're going to try to be less... <laughs> I'm trying to avoid the word. <laughs> but um, anyway, yes, you're listening to Being Humanist. You can find us at beinghumanist.podcast uh, uh, at gmail.com if you would like to send us an email. Uh Twitter at beinghumanistpc, and facebook.com slash beinghumanist.podcast. Uh, we're, we're gaining some followers. I, I've been posting to the page lately, and I keep getting new additional people. Nothing like the extreme growth of the science enthusiast, who just like blew up out of nowhere. But uh, I thought I'd give him a mission, so a mention. But anyway, so I'm Mike. And I am Keith. Welcome. I hope you're all excited. Hope you're excited. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, we actually have a a layout. You created a layout this time. You you gave us something to stick to. We're gonna stick to an hour, maybe less. Right. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We're trying to go shorter. We used to do like hour and a half shows, and uh, we were just kind of like, why are we doing this? And are people actually listening to us? Yeah. I mean, it, it's cool if you are, but, you know, sometimes things aren't easily digestible. Sometimes you can't listen to something all the way through. So, point number one, we <laughs> we would like to include a very brief bitch session on the current state of affairs. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was on your mind? Uh, you know, I just, nothing in particular. I just thought we could bounce off. Well, of course, there was a press conference a lot of people were talking about this week. Have you watched uh, it? Uh, just bits and pieces. I I know that Mr. Trump was not very willing to speak to or acknowledge or, specific, or directly address a lot of the questions that were, were given to him. Um, no one that was very prominent in the, in the forefront of that would be the, uh, the Jewish gentleman who had asked Mr. Trump a question about uh, re things relating to anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. and uh, Trump accused him of lying for not asking. He said he was going to ask him a straightforward question, and he's like, "You, you, you lied to me. Go ahead and sit down. You lied. This was not a straightforward question. This was a complicated question." And I heard that. I did yeah. watch this last night. I uh -huh. watched a majority. Listened to a majority of it. And yeah. yeah, I do remember that particular part. He he did say he was going to ask something easy, and it took him like I don't know a minute to get the whole question out. Uh huh. Yeah. But apparently, the the guy that asked the question wasn't offended by Trump's response. So uh, I don't know what that means, but it. Yeah, I see. Okay, yeah. So you were going to say um, apparently he was being anti-Semitic, correct? Or people were accusing him of being that way because he was a Jewish man. Yeah, apparently. Okay. So that, and there was another segment where they people were accusing him of being racist because a black woman stood up and asked a question about the black caucus, and it was kind of a similar thing. But I'm like, I don't know. I watched it, and I'm like, I don't think that he was being racist or anything. He was. His explanation was uh, he tried to get a meeting set up with the black caucus, and then. Whoever it was that he was speaking with, Congressman, uh, was it Lewis? Maybe I can't remember, but uh, mm, basically, maybe. his explanation on tape from this press conference is, is that he said it would be bad for his political career. 
I mean, whether that's true or a lie, that's one thing, but I don't know that he was doing anything that was racist. No, so, probably not. I mean, but, so what do we do with that? Well, the problem is, is um, Trump, it, it, what I feel like is he, he doesn't, he deflects more than anything. He, his press conferences are basically useless because he dances around every single question or just flat out uh, refuses to answer a question. He keeps accusing certain outlets of being fake news. Anything, anyone that's critical of him is fake news. Um, BBC. That was one of them. He, it's incredible. It's, and, and people are, and the problem with it is, is you would think that people would be on to him and beginning to be like, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe this guy is a little off. But instead, they're just believing everything he says and just backing him up. His supporters are just buying everything that he says, just gobbling it up and spewing it back out, basically. There were a few things that bothered me watching that. Uh, press conference, um, the way that he talked to the reporters, and he consistently uh, talked about how bad they were. How he was he was saying that I don't care if you write something bad about me, just make sure it's true. His whole thing was make sure it's true, uh-huh. and he's like, I know how this thing works. I've been doing this for a long time. I know when things are true or false. I'm here. I've been a part of blah blah blah. He was just spouting off nonsense. Transcripts are fantastic. Uh-huh. I'm like, I feel like I'm talking just like him with my hand right now. But um, uh, yeah, BBC stands up and says, "Hey, blah blah blah," from BBC, and here's this. And he goes, "Oh boy, BBC, here we go, more fake news." He immediately sets a tone, rolls his eyes, and treats the person like they're an idiot. Um, so that's happening. Then later on, somebody asks him about Russia. And the fact that they had a plane buzz one of our ships in, I think, the Dead Sea. I can't remember. But there was also a Russian ship spotted off the coast of the U.S., I think, or Canada. Really close. And what are you going to do about it? And he goes on and on and on about making a deal with Russia or whatever. But then he goes into... Why would I tell you? I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do. They don't need to know what we're going to do. I mean, what? Am I supposed to say in four months I'm going to attack this country? Like, he names a country, I can't remember which one it is, or city. Like, in four months, I'm going to attack this country. He gets really sarcastic and, uh, uh, like, he sounds like a fifth grader mm-hmm. when he's saying it. And I'm thinking to myself, whoever lives in that city or country, if they're hearing this, they got to be sitting on the edge of their seats wondering, <laughs> you know, what the hell's he doing? <laughs> or is he really going to, why would you say something like that? Oh, That's... He- I can't imagine any president, and well, then again, I've only been alive since 79, so I've only gone through presidents since Carter, and I wouldn't even remember Carter. Right. But there's not in recorded history any president, in recorded, digital recorded history, any president would say something like that. No, it, this is definitely, a, this is new territory, but I don't know, it's... I don't know what else I can say about it. I feel like we've kind of, the last couple times we've gotten together, really beaten this one <laughs> to death. So, Did you have anything else you needed to talk about? No. Did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> you just wrote Bitch Session on Current State of Affairs. So. It was just a suggestion. I didn't know we were going to just actually read the bullet point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so, um, what's up with Robert De Niro and RFK Jr.? Well, we've known for a while that Robert De Niro and, well, maybe more recently that, because it's, he's been in the news more often, RFK Jr., Robert De Niro has pushed some seemingly anti-vax positions. Um, he had, he has his Tribeca Film Festival. And um, he had, this goes back to when he had agreed to screen a documentary called Vaxxed, which was essentially centering around Andrew Wakefield, the the person who originated this vaccines linked to autism um, bullshit. And uh, his study, as we all know, has been discredited. It was um, removed from, I believe it was the Lancelot 
that it originally appeared in and it was retracted. Um, and uh, anyway, De Niro had, uh, who, who apparently has an autistic son, so he has okay. some emotional investment into this issue. Uh, um, De Niro had agreed to air this, but he all, but when there was a backlash from the scientific community and others, he decided to pull it from his festival, but he wasn't very happy about pulling it from his festival, and he appeared on several news shows following this and continued to speak his uh, anti-vax opinion. He, he's a skeptic. He thinks that we should look more into it. And um, The problem is, is we, we have. We've continually... Um, investigated this vaccine autism link and continually came up with the same result that there isn't one. Um, the reason that we're bringing this up is that President Trump actually invited Robert De Niro and RFK Jr. to discuss this, the possibility of forming a committee on autism. Mm hmm now, the reason that I find that very troubling is that if he's calling it a panel on autism and knowing that RFK Jr. and Robert De Niro are essentially anti-vaxxers, mm -hmm. what kind of influence, and Trump seems to be influenced by conspiracy theory quite a bit. Yeah. He, I mean, he reads Breitbart News. He He's been known to praise Alex Jones and InfoWars and get his information from InfoWars, he, he's, he's prone to buying into these conspiracy theories, and here he is entertaining two anti-vaxxers at the White House to discuss a possible committee on autism. Um, doesn't, that, doesn't that raise some flags for you? It, it does. It raises flags. I, I was happy when he took, uh, when he pulled the film from the Tribeca Film Festival. I remember the story. I remember mm -hmm. when it happened. Um, I kind of thought at that time that maybe he was just being reasonable and understood the situation and just let it go. Um, I don't think I realized that he was so into it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, the weird thing is, man, I, I'm... I'm remembering a one-minute ad that De Niro did where he just trashed Donald Trump running for president. And the idea that he's even entertain I mean, I guess if you're that into the thing and somebody's willing to entertain your, uh, your thought, your, your, mo your movement, mm -hmm. then something near and dear to your heart, I guess you're going to talk to the person who's in power. But uh, it's depressing because the guy, I mean... I guess it falls into the weird things that, uh, you know, somebody who believes probably 90% or thinks 90% of the way that we think as far as liberals are concerned, mm -hmm. and then he falls into this category of nonsense when it comes to the scientific system, and mm -hmm. then obviously you have the same issue on conservative issues where um, they just can't deal with the idea of global warming. Um, right. I, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing to continue to see happen. Yeah. And it's really sad. I, I'm kind of scared, you know, how much traction are they going to get with it? Right. And and you know also Trump has has tweeted in the past his he has indicated that he might share some of these views linking autism to vaccinations in in tweets. There's I, are you aware of what I'm talking about? I think so, yeah. yeah there's, I don't know exactly what it said. Um, he's talking about vac kids getting all these vaccines, and then next thing you know, boom, autism. Yeah, and, yeah. And the thing is, is RFK Jr., what, what's ridiculous about him is he continues to to ramp up the conversation about uh, Tamarisol, in mm -hmm. vaccines, which is you know the the mercury compound that it that but the thing is is he's linking that to autism. That tamarisol has actually it, it's an ethyl mercury uh, compound 
containing, it's like an antimicrobial. And it's been removed from, from most vaccines. It's since 2001. And that far back, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there, the thing is, it was, it was done as a precautionary measure and there was no decrease yeah. in cases of autism since then. So, I mean, but he's still discussing Tamarisol as if it, or if it were prevalent in, in most vaccines today. So not only is he an anti-vaxxer, but he's, he's not up to date with, with vaccine technology. He's not up to date with, with the latest vaccine, um, information. Right. Right. And this is, this is a guy that we're bringing into the white house to discuss serious issues surrounding autism. It just makes me wonder what they're up to. Um, what, where is the respect for the scientific community? Where is it? See, yeah. Um, it's supposed to be a nonpartisan issue. Yeah. I mean, science is supposed to be nonpartisan. Exactly. So, uh, why, I mean, in the past, did, uh, did politicians, I mean, well, I, you know, I guess I don't know. But, I mean, were there situations where politicians went with uh, being against the scientific community because of this or that, uh, it, against their interests? Yeah. Um, I did just watch an episode of The Cosmos again just because I was, uh, it was the White Room episode mm-hmm. uh, where he's discovering that lead, it's the episode where they discover how old the Earth is and that lead is killing everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, the gasoline, the oil companies were against funding that because um, lead's in the gasoline. Right. And so it's a big deal. So, I mean, I know at least that far back it's been an issue, but, I mean, is, what, I don't know when it started, but, yeah, that's a really good question. What What is it? What, what's up with that? You see, <laughs> I think... I think we may have just answered a question there, though. If you think about it, there's, for one, you have, um, I, you got to wonder though, what was Andrew Wakefield's motivation? And maybe he just got really, like, he thought he had found this link in this study, and he got sloppy with it, and he 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 wasn't as thorough as he should have been, which is one of the biggest uh, indicators in the beginning that this was a bad study, but. The reason I say that we may have answered our own question is obviously science is neutral. The results of science exist outside of whatever political uh, views you may hold. Um, Objective truth is objective truth, and science attempts to reveal that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when it's revealed, it goes against someone's pre-existing notions. There are people who can review the evidence and the consensus and be like, well, I was wrong. But there are others who will push back. And when there is money involved, which happens in you know the corporate world, and unfortunately the corporate world is basically running our political system now, um, if they see something where they're going to have to spend money to revamp a system, mm-hmm. they're they're going to... I mean, we're seeing that right now. They're going to poison the well. They're going to, they're going to, and then with the with the contributions that they make through, especially strengthened through Citizens United, the contributions they make to political campaigns, they're altering the the um, platforms of the politicians who are running for office. So they're out there pushing this. Uh, well, the 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 science is the science is suspect on this issue and then people are so loyal to their parties. There's so much party loyalty out there and not, not just with the people who are politicians themselves, but the people who vote for these parties, they're entrenched in believing everything these people say. Mm -hmm. So, Oh, well this guy, he's, he's running for, he's a congressman who's saying that the science is not settled on this. Like, so there must be something to it with, and they're not, I just don't think people, for one, I, I had this conversation with my dad the other day. The scientific illiteracy in this country is pretty bad, and people don't know what to look for in a good scientific study. They don't know, they see that there's a scientific study showing 
a result, they'll read this on the internet and it'll look all nice and official and it'll be a, promoted by, you know, a source like Breitbart or a source like, right. or even the, or even their congressman will, will tout this study as something special. And how can you blame them if they're not, if they're not trained to understand what a good scientific study is or what consensus is? And we, I think we've said this before, we know consensus is not a bunch of scientists getting together saying, this is my opinion. Well, this is mine too. We all have this opinion. Most of us have this opinion. This, this is a consensus. <laughs> Again, it's studies that have come up with the same result over and over. And it's kind of crazy that these that these people's words have so much power that you can have like these thousands of studies agreeing with one or another, and then you have these couple outliers. And everybody these, will latch on. They'll latch on to those outliers, and they'll pretend that this consensus doesn't even exist. Mm-hmm. And it's scary. It's Because... It, like we've said, science exists outside of your political views, no matter what. So we're kind of oddballs in that we are accepting all of this scientific consensus because these studies are revealing these things. So we not only disagree with some pet issues on the right, we disagree with a lot of pet issues on the left. Um, we can't sit here and say that vax, anti-vax is exclusively a liberal True. Uh, pseudoscientific belief, but it, it seems to be mo- more prevalent on the left. Same with GMO, seems to be more prevalent on the left, and you got evolution and global warming on the right. Right. Um, Correct. How do we get people to respect consensus and trust in scientific consensus again? That's a really good question, and I feel like it kind of leads into the next story. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, the, the March for Science. Yeah. I was a little surprised to read that. And, I mean, it makes sense. I understand where it's going. Yeah. Um, I, sadly, um, the March for Science is April 22nd, I think. It's a Saturday. It's on Earth Day, isn't it? On Earth Day. And um, uh, I happen to have something scheduled that day. And Mm -hmm. I can't. It's for work. I can't go do any. I can't participate anywhere technically. Right. Um, other than the fact that our uh, university is having a week long science throwdown. I don't know if you know much about it, but it's called X Week and it's going to be a big cool deal. And they're having a big thing on that Saturday that I might cover. So that's that. I may be celebrating in my own way. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really wanted to go because I think it's great. But then. This story comes out and asks, is the March for Science a bad idea? Right. I think this is, uh, I don't know if this is specifically written by Jerry Coyne, but it's definitely on his blog. Why Evolution uh, is True. Yeah. Um, but the the person that, that he uh, refers to in this article um, had brought up a point, and I, I might just go ahead and read it directly um sure robert s young is he's a professor of coastal geology and a director of the program for the study of developed shorelines at western carolina university he disagrees that the march for science is a good idea he thinks it's a bad idea Uh, he says that here i'll just go ahead and start reading it young says that such a march would erode scientists image by polarizing the public against them making the electorate think that we're just another political special interest group. Mm -hmm. Quote uh, for Robert Young here, but trying to recreate the pointedly political women's march will serve only to reinforce the narrative from skeptical conservatives that scientists are an interest group and politicize their data, research, and findings for their own ends. Politicize their data, research, and finding for their own ends. A march by scientists, while well-intentioned, will serve only to trivialize and politicize the science we care so much about, turn scientists into another group caught up in the culture wars, and further drive the wedge between scientists and a certain segment of the American electorate. Um, I can see where he's coming from here. I like, can, too. You know he's right, that that's going to happen. when, when Because you can already see that, that Trump supporters and, and people on the right in general are just... They're just fed up with all of these protests, and they just think that it's sour grapes, and all of these people mm-hmm. are, you know, just whining and complaining, and they they can't see why it's happening. And um, 
if scientists get involved in this, they're going to look, oh, well, look at science has a liberal bias. And that's just not true. Uh, mm. The problem, the reason these scientists are doing this is because Trump has specifically come out and tried to silence uh, scientists on social media from posting any sort of op uh, oh. opinion. Yeah, we uh, just talked about his rogue, the rogue Twitter accounts and stuff that yeah. popped up uh, when he silenced the EPA and National Park Service because the the Washington Monument picture yeah. of his crowd size. But the thing is, is they're not they're not giving opinions. They're 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 giving us data. They're giving right. us their findings. Right. And because there's a segment of the United States who believes that these findings are basically bullshit um it's in climate change is definitely a politicized topic mm -hmm. um if data is coming out that favors the climate change anthropogenic climate change hypothesis then a lot of people are going to look at that as a liberal view being posited by a government agency like they're showing favoritism to one side, but no, they're just they're just wanting to put out their data. And so we so we as an, an electorate, we as a group uh, a group of citizens can see it and see for ourselves the the results of these studies. And so I think it really rubbed the scientific community the wrong way for the most part when they saw our president saying, "No, you can't you can't share this information with the public." Okay, so we're in a really strange time frame right now mm -hmm. because a lot of stuff's going on. There's a lot of areas that are direly consequential, especially with the climate change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what could four years of negativity and not caring do to the, you know, taking care or, you know, working to solve it or mm -hmm. not solve it, but just get through it. Um, you have a president who is, uh, silence, well, it looks like there, there's a motion now in Congress to get rid of the EPA. Yeah. Uh. There is. Um, among many other things. But there's, there actually looks like there is a, uh, like science has a big target on its back right now. Yes. And... It's kind of scary. I mean, it's it's not kind. It's really scary. Um, hell, I think that even with the EPA, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they aren't the scientists or whoever are working in, aren't allowed to publish things until it goes through the director's hands and they say, "Okay, you can say this." Did you hear that story? Yeah, I understand okay. it. So um, we're in a weird situation where this is a big deal. Uh, things are seriously being questioned when they shouldn't be questioned. Well, I mean, I couldn't. I shouldn't say questioned, but at least, uh, um, where do you go with this? Uh, is a march for science a bad idea? What do I think personally? Yeah, <laughs> I tend to think that. Can it be done right? Can it be Maybe. done nonpartisan? As long as they as they do it in a nonpartisan way, because according to the article that that we're reading here, that the they seem to be the people that are putting this together seem to be kind of um, marrying this march for science to other issues that are not related to science. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's and it, it makes it appear that yes, we are. Um, politicizing this march um here here we go here's a i'll go ahead and read this this is actually um a statement from the march's organizers um and the statement i'll just go ahead and start reading again uh, the statement of aims below from the march march's organizers has now disappeared but the tweet below is still there you can find the full statement archived here and there's a link in this article we hear you. We thank you for your criticism. In the March for Science, we are committed to centralizing, highlighting, standing in solidarity with, and acting as accomplices with black, Latinx, API, whatever that is. You know what API is? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Indigenous, Muslim, Jewish women. Jewish women, people with disabilities, poor, gay, lesbian, bisexual, queer, trans, non-binary, agender, and intersex scientists and science advocates. 
We recognize that many issues about which scientists as a group have largely remained silent, attacks on black and brown lives, oil pipelines through indigenous lands, sexual harassment and assault, ADA access in our communities, immigrant policy, lack of clean water in several cities across the country, poverty wages, LGBTQIA rights, and mass shootings are scientific issues. Science has historically and generally continues to support discrimination. In order to move forward, in order to move forward as a scientific community, we must address and actively work to unlearn our problematic past and presence do, to make science available to everyone. And then I, I assume Jerry Coyne here speaking from science supports discrimination. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Some scientists support discrimination, but most of us don't. And that there's that claim about social issues being scientific ones, colonization, racism, immigration, native rights, sexism, Albiism, queer, trans, intersex phobia, and econ justice are scientific issues. So he's saying that by highlighting these things, yeah, these are very, very liberal yeah. issues here. Yeah. And there's not, it, it's completely un, whether you, I'm for all of those things, you yeah, know, I'm for, I get but, it. but they shouldn't be tied in with this March for Science. They're not really related to it. So, Science is for the people. Yeah, so the so tacking these issues on to the March for Science and not just the in, initial purpose for this march, I do disagree with that. I don't think they should do that because when when the public sees this, that segment of the United States we were talking it's about, it's going to turn it off. It's it's. I think it's this. March, if they continue in this direction, is going to hurt the scientific community. I'm going to have to search that a little bit more. Yeah. That, I mean, just listening to you read that, and I was reading along with you, it's just like, I felt like they were all over the place in there. Yeah, and if there's anyone who's an advocate for science you, that you know, you know I am. And, and it, when I initially heard about this March, I was like, oh, wow, that's great, you know, great. Good for the... But, if this after reading this, I'm not so sure I'm behind it as much. I just I think it's 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 they've gone off, t they've just veered off course. They've yeah. I think we should come back to this maybe in the next episode and yeah. see if we find anything else and see if that direction is actually happening. Yeah. Um, because what I'll, what I think is interesting is I mean yeah suppose they're supposed to be scientists right. You're not going to have a large enough group of scientists to make like a big presence for a march. Yeah. So it's it's come into this. I mean, the whole march for science idea is people who support and understand that it needs to be understood. That there needs to be a general understanding of what's going on in the scientific world. Um, stuff that you're supposed to learn in grade school. Yeah. That people don't have an understanding for, and uh, just bring all those people together. Yeah. I start to think about that though, and we know we just talked about. Uh, GMO, anti-GMO, anti-vax and stuff. You know how many people might be in that march who are going to be anti those things? Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, the, there's just like a weird, like, <laughs> there's an element there that's kind of kind of funny to me, right. kind of humorous. But it's like, can you get people like educators, like Bill Nye, even though he's not, <laughs> he's a, engineer yeah but i mean can you get people lawrence krauss while he is very strong he's got very strong opinions and he turns people the wrong you know come to think of it most of my favorite scientists out there are kind of very opinionated on the left aren't they yeah um i think lawrence krauss i, I don't know if he addresses social issues as much as he does um religion true I he think, and richard dawkins yeah and but the um, the thing is, I want to I do want to make sure that it's said that that statement that I read from the march organizers has been it has been retracted. Yeah. So, <clears throat> as it states in the article article here, maybe that means they're refocusing, kind of getting <sighs> back to their original purpose and deciding to ditch the social justice uh, issues. You know. Um, which I hope they are. Not that social justice issues aren't important, and but I don't think they're... I agree with Jerry Coyne that they're not necessarily related to this 
this uh, the original purpose of this march. Um, I'd like to know who's actually setting it up. Like, who's organizing yeah. this? I'm sure we could find out, but... Like I said, it, it, as long as they if as long as they stick to the purpose that I was under the impression um, that they they had for this march, I'm I'm for it. Yeah. But if they're going to start tacking on issues that don't seem to be related, I can't I can't support it. Even even if I agree with with what they're what they're uh, yeah trying, you know I think there's an element, and we briefly talked before the show started. Um, because of a silly conversation I had on Facebook, but um, I think you got to focus on educating the public without giving it a slant. And uh, um, there's, I mean, there comes that point where no question is too stupid. So I mean, if if you're able to take questions from people that are completely ridiculous, it's like, yeah, this has been well documented, like. I mean, gravity. It's gravity. If you say gravity doesn't exist, then, you know, whatever. But if a 10-year-old kid asks you that, you go through and you explain it to him. You don't laugh at him. So is there, I mean, yeah, I guess that'd be the question. Can you take a march for science and uh, make it a very positive educational thing instead of pointing out, hey, look at how everybody's possibly, this administration is possibly going to destroy this and you guys are messing up our world and whatever. See where I'm going with that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be interesting. I'd like to know because I keep seeing the people who are jumping on board with this, like uh, Jamie Heineman from MythBusters. I mean, Bill Nye's involved. I think Neil Tyson. I think I saw promos for him. But, you know, these people are supposed to be in there. So which way are they going to go with it? I guess we'll find out. I guess so. We'll talk about it next time. Right. Now, um, we kind of did, we touched on social justice issues, um, and, um, which really ties in with, um, the, uh, the issue of political correctness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's another topic that we had talked about discussing here today, uh, I read an article uh, in the Guardian, um, and it was it was centered mostly around um, a, an interview uh, with Stephen Fry conducted by Dave Rubin of the Rubin Report. I've got to listen to that. Who uh, has really been rubbing a lot of people on the left the wrong way. Dave Rubin is traditionally known as as a liberal voice, but he has kind of departed from a lot of liberal um, viewpoints recently, he feels that he has actually said something along the lines that um, the far left, he calls, which he often calls the regressive left, right, um, is essentially becoming in danger of becoming the new Tea Party. Um He's uh, referring to the those that are attempting to silence uh, points of view that they find repulsive, offensive. disgusting, offensive. Right. Um, case in point, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, uh, the the debacle at UC Berkeley, right? Um, violent protest uh, in response to his uh, invitation to speak at UC Berkeley. Now let's get this straight. <laughs> I have no love for Milo Yiannopoulos. None whatsoever, me either. I disagree with him fundamentally on almost every single point that he makes. Yeah. Worst every, almost everything that the man stands for, I oppose. Right. But does that mean that I don't think Milo Yiannopoulos should be able to get up and say the horrible things that he, that are inside of his mind? in a public forum if uh-huh. he's invited to speak there? No, I don't think that. I disagree 100% with every single person right now who's trying to silence speech from people they disagree with. Now, if you disagree with something someone says, that's one that, that that's 
fine. You should be able to disagree. That's what part of, it's a beautiful thing that we have free speech in this country. And what you should do rather than try to shut that person down and silence their, their voice is demonstrate why. Let them speak and then use your voice to demonstrate why what they're saying is disgusting to you or wrong and why other people should agree with you that what that person is saying is disgusting and wrong. But to completely silence them, that's an authoritarian position. You're trying to say, you can't say this because I disagree with it. Mm -hmm. That's an authoritarian position. Yeah, I made a uh, post on Facebook a couple weeks ago saying it was in that regard, um, talking about people being able to speak. Because uh-huh. in his in that situation, I believe the college Republicans or whatever for that campus invited and paid for him to be there. Mm-hmm. But the I think the campus called the university canceled it because of the violent protests outside. Mm-hmm. They just feared for safety. You know, those are big issues. Uh, but I'm like. I'm trying to tell people, hey, he should be, you shouldn't, you shouldn't stop him. You can't, why, why would you stop somebody because you don't agree with them? Uh, that's been a big issue for me. And yes, that, that post that I made on Facebook, just people flipped out on me. Yeah. In the same, same way that I feel like they may be flipping out on Bill Maher and. People are very upset with Bill Maher for having Milo Yiannopoulos on his show. But the reason, and the biggest reason why this is an issue for me, and I know that there's got to be an issue. Why this is an issue for me is because of our atheism, we are going to say, hey, this religion is, I mean, what you believe, I mean, where's the evidence for it? And you're going to question things and people are going to get pissed off. But if we don't have a right to talk about it, I mean, dude, could you imagine how contained, how compressed we would be because we wouldn't, I mean, we couldn't air out this and we couldn't have good conversation about it. Mm-hmm. You may not like it, but I mean, it's an idea. You've got to have conversations about ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I support this. That's this is why the freedom of speech is there. This is why, uh, I'm, you can't silence people, right? Unless you're in Germany and you keep Nazis from meeting. But I don't know where you go with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Germany's issue. Uh, but the thing is, okay, let me get it, get to the article here a little bit. Um, this article was written around this interview with Stephen Fry. Um, Stephen Fry had said something in the interview that really upset a lot of people. And this was with Dave Rubin? Yes. How did I miss this? Continue, sorry. Um, so once again, I'm just going to read a little bit of segment, uh, a little segment from the article here. Um, well, first off, the article discussed... Uh, a statue, and I think it was, I'm not sure what university, it was a university in the, in the UK, in England. Um, but the statue was of uh, somebody, Rhodes. <laughs> I'm trying to, that's, sorry. That's okay. This sucks that I didn't quite have this highlighted. Um but anyway, the, the person, the statue was of is apparently a pretty unsavory character. Um, I remember reading this stupid article. <laughs> I just forget everything. But anyway, a lot where, of the students. Where was it? It was a, it's a university in. Um, is it Louisville? No. Or is it in Europe? No, it's the universities in Europe. Okay. Um, Anyway, uh, there it is. It was eleven minutes. April what's that? April fourth, April fourth of twenty sixteen. The interview with Stephen Fry. It's eleven minutes long. On okay. the Rubin Report, I'm just I went to look for it. Oh, I see. Okay, that's what, and I didn't listen to it, so I'm going to download it now so I can listen to it later. Okay, it was very short. It was Oxford. Um, okay, this it was a statue of Cecil Rhodes. Um, says Rhodes was a student at Oxford and left money to provide a prestigious scholarship. Mm-hmm. Rhodes he was, Scholars. Yeah, Rhodes Scholar. He, he was also 
undoubtedly an imperialist with a belief in the racial superiority of Anglo-Saxons. Even in his own time, his views were considered extreme by many. Okay. So a lot of students wanted this, this statue taken down because they believed it was deeply offensive to, to African uh, students of African um, descent. Mm-hmm. And so Fry's view was that the student campaign was an example of a tendency to declare someone good or bad full stop. Quote, to remove his statue strikes me as being stupid, he said. The way to fight colonialism and the ideas behind it is not to pull down statues. It's to reveal, to say who he is, look at him, occasionally throw an egg on it. How very (laughs) old-fashioned of him to argue that free speech and argument can expose repellent views, that it isn't necessary to erase them from history, to unperson them. So... Then Fry went on to discuss the movement, particularly on American campuses, to ban people from speaking who might offend or trigger deep feelings in some students because of their experiences or their identity as a minority. Quote, there are many great plays which contain rapes, and the word rape now is even considered a rape. To say the word rape is to rape, Fry said. This is where we're getting into the things that that are touchy, and Fry was... In trouble for saying. He says, rapes are terrible things and they have to be thought about clearly. But if you say you can't watch this play, you can't watch Titus Andronicus, or you can't read it in a Shakespeare class, or you can't read Macbeth because it's got children being killed in it, and it might trigger something when you were young that upset you once because an uncle touched you in a nasty place, well, I'm sorry. It's a great shame and we're all very sorry that your uncle touched you in that nasty place. You get some of my sympathy. But your self-pity gets none of my sympathy. The irony is we'll feel sorry for you if you stop feeling sorry for yourself. Just grow up. It was very harsh the way that he put that. Yeah. and Very British. Yeah, it was very harsh, very British, very blunt. <laughs> but um, I get his point. It's, it is unfortunate that these things happen to some people. The, these terrible things have happened to some people. And But the thing is... That these things happen should not infringe upon the discussion of certain topics because it's going to offend that person. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it should not impede on the education of others because of that. You know, what I, and I, I agree with Stephen Fry on, on that point. I, I'm not a proponent of. Um, the safe space thing in yeah. colleges, um, in, in, in a, in a, in a sense, like I can see where you, if you need someone to speak to or, yeah, or yeah, you yeah. need a, you need a, that should be there. There's not supposed to be a place you can hide from ideas. There's yeah. supposed to be a place where you can go talk to somebody and not worry about them shaming you. Right. And institutions of education are places that are supposed to be an open forum for right. ideas, we're not. We when when this politically correct way of thinking infiltrates our educational institutions, we're not getting the spectrum of ideas. We're not getting all that we can. We need to. How can we know why something is bad if we're not exposed to it in the first place? Right. So that's where I stand in this, and I think that liberals are getting out of control with this a little bit. I think we need to f- find our our place again. There, there is an emerging. I think there's an emerging. Like we've talked about how there's a polarization in the United States. Mm-hmm. We got this huge far right segment that's just this religious right that wants a theocracy that wants right. that wants science uh, to be taught differently in schools. And then we have this far left segment that's um, that's afraid of modern medicine, basically, uh, and who want, who are afraid of new technologies and food in agriculture. And so then we have this segment somewhere in between, I think, that's starting to grow. A, a more centrist group of people who are seeing the the extremes of both of these sides. And they're just kind of, I think we're f- finally starting to see an emerging, this is just my speculation, my, my opinion, but we're starting to see an emerging center a, a right center and a left center that 
it's getting bigger again. Like this polarization, I think maybe eventually starting to go away because of these two extremes that have been beaten. We're, we've been beaten over the head with both sides of this for the past, who more than eight, more than Obama's term because the, this far, far right was emerging in Bush's term and this far left was emerging in Obama's term. And then here we go. We got Trump, Uh (laughs) but I just think that we have some people that are starting to see the bullshit from both sides. And I think we're, we're starting to maybe see the regrowth of, uh, of moderates on both sides. Like people who lean left and people who lean right, but are objective Mm-hmm. In 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 many ways. Well, you say that, and I mean, I would have considered myself uh, a few years ago to be a very left, me too, progressive. Yeah. Um. Uh, with my social values on life, sure. um, I don't know that I'm not. I don't. I wouldn't say that I've changed specifically, but there's an element of maybe the party itself or the, uh, the people who are claiming to be a Democrat or whatever, who are taking these other views on that don't necessarily represent the Democratic Party, Yeah, maybe? Yeah. So, I mean, in that regard, I mean, Dave Rubin is going through this whole shift here where he's saying he's a classic liberal, or those are the, the conversations that he's been having. Mm-hmm. I haven't listened to his shows a lot lately. I just know that a few people that I really like are really against him right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm in this really weird world where I'm watching these people fight over people like Bill Maher, Dave Rubin, and others who, to me, I think sound sane. Uh, I think Bill Maher has his GMO quirks and He's stuff like that. Stuff, yeah. But I mean, when it comes to talking about religion and politics, I mean, for the most part, I think, you know, I'm with him. I understand what he's saying. And even if I don't agree with him, he still has a show. It's funny, and I'm going to watch it. Right. Uh, Dave Rubin, he brings people on all the time that he doesn't agree with, so you can hear their point of view, their story. And he doesn't even necessarily fight them. He just lets them talk. And as they talk, he says, yeah, okay, you know, he acknowledges what they're saying. I don't think that he's agreeing with them specifically, and he lays that out in his shows in the beginning, sometimes in the end, saying, these are things we need to talk about. And I'm seeing people, authors of books that I like, who are flipping out on this guy. I'm like, I don't know what he's doing wrong. I don't know what these people are doing wrong, and I don't know why you, who I respect, are freaking out about it. Yeah. I, it, it's fine if they want to disagree with Dave Rubin, Dave Rubin, if they want to disagree with his points of view. But if they get, if they get into the, the point where they think he should just shut up, then, we're, then we have a problem. Um, but that's the thing. I agree with you. Like I'm, I, a few years ago, would have considered myself to be very, very, very far left. And, and I don't think that I've changed much in my viewpoints. But now all of a sudden, I feel like I feel like I've like moved to the right or something, even though I really haven't. Yeah. Like I feel there are people who I think would look at me and say that that guy's that guy's a bit of a conservative. Like, I think there's some things that we have to acknowledge, though. I think every one of us has different views where we tend, we can agree with conservatives and mm-hmm. conservatism in, in certain certain areas. I mean, mm-hmm. it's there's that's going to happen. You're going to have left and right views. Yeah. I don't think any one of us can honestly, literally, be all left or all right. I just don't see it happening. No, it's. I, I think, think so. there's an element where you might be ashamed to say that you agree with something because you're outwardly saying I'm a liberal or a conservative, and you don't. If you're a conservative, saying that you uh, accept global warming as an issue is <laughs> bad for you politically. Yeah. Um, what do you do with that? Yeah, I mean, all I know is that if, if uh, being a uh, fan of David Wolf and uh, <laughs> buying into all this anti-GMO, anti, anti-vaccine, uh, everything from the pharmaceutical lobby is bad and blah blah blah. Every like, if if that's what progressivism is today, I guess I'm not one. If that's what we define progressivism as right now, that I'm, I've, 
I have to remove myself from that label because that seems to be where a lot of them are going, and that's what Dave Rubin is trying to point out. And for doing that, he is being ostracized by the left. Yeah, yeah. And that's a shame. And maybe, and maybe people are gonna that listen to us who who've heard my points of views over the last few years are gonna feel the same way about me for saying what I just said. But yeah, we're just not as popular. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> obviously, but I. I still consider myself a liberal. Yeah. Um, you care about, I mean, you care about people. Mm-hmm. Not to say conservatives don't. Right. But you care about people. And, I mean, I would say I am a democratic socialist. Um, I would say so, yeah. Uh, Same. And to some, I mean, that's extremely far left immediately. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no other way about it. But right. at the same time, I mean, Second Amendment, people owning guns and things like that, I mean, yeah. We could go on. That could what, go forever. Yeah. What people don't realize, though, uh, when when we discuss democratic socialism, is we already live in a pretty much socialist democracy. It's just people don't under, don't don't really recognize it. The, the things that are socialized in our country are, you know, something things people just don't think about. Yeah. Um, keep all, your gov- keep the government out of my Medicare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a funny thing to say. But of course, uh, <laughs> I know. I knew you, where you're, you're being yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, I know. I know. So, all we want to see, I think, is in democratic. When we talk about being democratic socialists, is we want to see the social programs that we do have continue to uh, be beneficial to our citizens. You know, and and that includes healthcare and education for us, and. Obviously, that's a value that Bernie Sanders held pretty closely. He was just trying to say, hey, like, we already do this. Let's just shift it so we're, our social programs are things that are helping us. They're there to help us all. Let's make sure that that happens. Let's, let's make sure we feel good about where our tax dollars are going. Let's make sure we feel good about how our, you know, our, we're spending in government, mm-hmm. that it's beneficial to our people. I don't understand. I just, I just can't understand how that anyone could see that. That's just me, though. That is a problem. But well, since you thought of socialism, there are people who are like, uh, it's like uh, people not understanding Black Lives Matter, or you have a white lower middle class family who are struggling to make ends meet blah 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 and you start talking about how a black family has it harder and they're like what are you talking about I'm working my ass off how do they have it any harder than me I mean there's those issues that pop up that people don't necessarily see the other side to they know what they're going through and they can't open up past that mm-hmm. and I, man, I, I think more than anything I just wish people would uh, just think about things and understand that um, it's good to have pride in yourself and the fact that you work hard and do things and take care of yourself but uh, I just don't understand why it's a bad thing to want to have a system where uh, you keep costs down because everything everybody's bought into a universal health care or something mm-hmm. um, I don't I don't know I mean that's how public school systems work you're Public services like fire fighting, whatever. It's like you 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 go in on things together to make sure that our tax dollars uh, benefit everyone as a whole. What's wrong with that? I don't see anything wrong with it. Uh, somebody, maybe we could bring somebody on here who does. We and should they can tell us why it's wrong. That'll be a fun conversation. Yeah. Do you go do you go Republican or Libertarian? <laughs> There is somebody actually who might be fun to have that conversation with. Maybe I'll ask him. But, um, ah, dude, that's that's pretty much a show, isn't it? I think so. Um, there are other things that I want to talk about. There's, I've been wanting to talk about the mail I got from the FFRF recently and talk about what they're trying to do in the world. Um, you know, actually, there was one brief thing that I wouldn't mind squeezing in. Um, I got to do something a couple of days ago that was really cool. Yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm um, sure about to talk about here. Uh, 
most of the time when you go to a public event or something, uh, a graduation ceremony, a government uh, meeting, you know, where large groups of people come in and they, they're running something, they, you give invocations before. You generally have a local priest or pastor or somebody who come in and give a blessing to the meeting, right? And right now you have uh, groups saying, hey, if you're going to allow these people to come in, you should allow other people to come in, atheists, secular humanists. Uh, that's a bad thing to say. I shouldn't say atheist, secular humanist. Secular humanism, obviously, it covers a large array of beliefs or disbeliefs. Mm-hmm. You can be a Christian and be a secular humanist. Um, it's all about understanding the separation of church and state and caring about people. I mean, to me, that's what secular humanism is. Yeah. Um, so we've had this, uh, what seems to be a, a struggle in the last few years, because, I mean, I've, we've been going to these things, I've been going to these events 25, 30 years now, where I'm like, yeah, sure, this person's praying for us. It doesn't really fit me very well. I appreciate that you're doing this, but who's speaking for me? So just recently, I got to have an opportunity with the local United Way. They had a get-together where they were talking about all the stuff that they've done in the last three years and their next campaign and how they're building up our local community. It's a really cool deal. I am. I know who the the seat, the the president is for the local group, and a lot of the people who work with them. And because we're friends on Facebook, they know who I am. And she wanted to see something different. She decided, why not have an interfaith invocation that is actually truly interfaith mm-hmm. and includes a large group of people. There were eight or nine of us standing on stage, who gave a little invocation. I don't even know if invocation is supposed to be a religious thing or not. Is it tied to, like, prothelistizing? Prothelistizing. <laughs> um, so I got to go first. I got to do my little thing. I had to do a little research and find people who have done it before and copy and paste and kind of come at it and bring in my own thing. But um, I found out afterward there were quite a few people in that room because, honestly, 20% of our country is in the... Um, non-religious group, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, that includes people who believe who don't go to church or atheists. I mean, the whole swath of people. Right. But um, I went in and just said, hey, be cool. Yeah. Realize that the people next to you may not believe. You, you can't tell that they do or don't believe something or they, dis- or they don't agree with you politically on something. They're just a person who requires love, compassion, empathy. I mean, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. So I got to do that. I got to go out there and speak, and then there were like a Catholic, Jewish, Muslim. There were a bunch of people up on stage. And we all had the same message. It was all the same message. Just mine just didn't from have a God perspective. Yeah. yeah, and I found out afterward that a lot of people were super pumped about it, and they may not have known what a secular humanist humanist is, because I didn't get to explain it. I didn't have enough time, but maybe they went home and looked it up. Yeah, that would be the hope. Yeah, because they did say, "Here's a secular humanist," and people were like, "What? What's that mean?" But uh, no, it was a really cool experience, and. How I got picked still baffles me. I mean, I know I explained it, but I'm like, I don't think I ever thought I'd be representing a group of people at such a big event. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a cool experience. I just wanted to share it. Well, Thanks for, for you, listening man. for me for the last three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's the show. Yeah. One hour and three minutes and 29 seconds. That's not bad. There you go. <laughs> um... Hey, uh, we've got one final thing to play out on, which is cool. Um, I think both of us have watched it. It's a a Neil deGrasse Tyson interview, I think, with... uh, What was the guy? uh, It's Larry King. Is it Larry King? Mm -hmm. Okay. I was going to say, there's another one he does with another guy, but... uh, It's... His statement is, he doesn't fear death on Larry King now. It's a really good piece I've shared on Facebook myself before, I think. Same. Um, So we'll play out on that, and now you know who it is, what it is, and if you don't know who Neil deGrasse Tyson is, you should look him up. Yeah. But, uh... I'd be surprised if many people (laughs) didn't, but hey. Uh, Please send us emails. We love to hear from people. Send us a Facebook message, whatever. So it's on email, beinghumanist.podcast at gmail.com. Um... 
facebook.com slash beinghumanist.podcast and get us on Twitter at beinghumanistpc. Um, I think as always, we like to say, well, I'm Mike. And I'm Keith. <laughs> and uh, please keep thinking. Absolutely. You must <laughs> always keep thinking. <laughs> it's great having you here, man. We'll see you. We'll hear. We'll talk to you all in a couple weeks. Enjoy our outro. We fear death because we are born knowing only life. Right. I get that. However, I, I, I t- take another view because I've been asked, if you could live forever, would you? Yes. <laughs> okay. We're well, done. We're the this <laughs> yes. Uh, no. Okay. Sure. That's an attractive idea. But the way I look at it is, it is the knowledge that I'm going to die that creates the focus that I bring to being alive. The urgency of accomplishment, the need to express love now, not later. If we live forever, why ever even get out of bed in the morning? Because you always have tomorrow. That's not the kind of life I want to lead. But why, don't you fear not being around? I fear living a life where I could have accomplished something and didn't. That's what I fear. I I don't fear death. You don't fear the unknown? I love the unknown. I I, I, I love the, you know what I want on my tombstone? My sister has this in her her notes, because in case I can't tell anyone after I die. On my tombstone, a quote from Horace Mann, great educator. Be ashamed to die until you have scored some victory for humanity.